Hi, Peter Walker here and welcome to today's edition of The Transition Guy. Now, joining me today in the studio is Neil Sahota, author of On the AI Revolution. Welcome, Neil. Hey, Peter. Really excited to be here, man. Thanks for having me on. Hey, listen, really great to have you here. I mean, you've had a pretty good sort of pass in terms of technology, AI development, work for some great companies. Really, what I want to talk to you to about today was if we go pre-pandemic, everybody was up in arms around artificial intelligence saying, oh, it's going to replace all the jobs. People are going to have nothing to do. It's going to be the Terminator revisited. And it was all, you know, it was all that rubbish that people were saying. Yeah, let's forward wind three years. <laughs> and we're in a situation where like in the UK, 1.2 million job vacancies available. You take the US in October, what was it, the Great Resignation, something like 4.8 million people resigned from their jobs. I mean, across the globe, there's a huge shortage. And really what I want to explore with you today is there's been great resistance in the past to technology and artificial intelligence, but surely we have no choice going forward. We don't. I mean, the people shortage, this ironically has turned into the great accelerator for using AI to essentially take over some of these roles. And I'll be totally honest with everybody in that, you know, if you're worried about AI taking your job, it probably already has in a lot of cases. It's just the nature of work. Whatever you're, you're doing today, AI is probably able to do some of that. And so if you're not adapting, you're going to die. But you've seen that with, I mean, you've seen that, I'll give you a great example, will probably be accountancy. I mean, you look at the sophistication, whether it's QuickBooks or Sage, the bread and butter work that accountants did is no longer there. Well, that, that's, the, that's the big thing. I think a lot of people think, okay, it's the admin, the grunt work. Yeah, absolutely. But AI can actually do some of the cognitive work. And we're already seeing lawyers like to a fairly large extent now, seeing a lot of their work they normally do their first you know, six years, AI is actually able to do it now. And it's not, doesn't mean we're not gonna need lawyers, it's just that the nature of what we expect lawyers to do is gonna be different and we probably will not need as many lawyers. Why do you think companies have been quite slow? And I don't mean corporates because they're a little bit more on the ball than anything, but we're talking about your privately owned medium to small businesses, why do you think they have been so slow to really explore or adopt AI? There's just two things that I've seen. So one, they either don't believe the AI can do the work or at least do it as well as a human being. And two, they think it's just prohibitively expensive. And at least on the second one, you can see that with the I'll call it the commoditization and development of some of these tools and solutions, the cost has really come down. I mean, I, I'm starting to actually see startups now leveraging some of these AI tools to essentially be like a fractional CFO. It's still that first one where it's a blow to our ego because we think we're human beings. And, you know, Peter, you look at movies, TV, books, we always beat the machine, make something special about us. But to say that the machine can actually do this better than we can, including things like read the emotional state of another human being, 
it's it's a pretty big blow to our ego in a place in the universe. I'm not sure that people either want to believe it or they want to accept it. But the reality is we need to learn to embrace it. That's right. Do. Yeah. I mean, for most of us, we were children in the 70s when, especially like in the UK, we had probably the toughest period of economic activity going. I mean, we had interest rates climbing close to 20%. We had high inflation. I mean, we had three-day working weeks. We had blackouts in terms of power. It was not good at all. And then there's some similarities between the 70s and today. And actually, when you look at technology, I honestly believe that when you're looking at sort of inflation proof in your business, surely technology, artificial intelligence has got to be one area one has to seriously consider. I mean, it, there's, there's no doubt about it. Let, look, just be honest, the people shortage aside, we know that machines are able to do things faster, cheaper, less errors. And this doesn't have to be about you know, human versus machine. It's just that you think about the work that we do. Even 20 years ago, the job you do today, 20 years ago, the work was still different. That, that wasn't changed by AI. It's just we evolve, we pick up better tools, right? The value is created elsewhere down the chain now. And the AI is just accelerating that pace. Where do you think technology and artificial intelligence is going to have the biggest impact, let's say, over the next two years? I actually believe it's going to be around creativity and problem solving. Um, I'm actually already working on projects. We've actually used this with some big companies that there's this whole notion of hybrid intelligence where okay. you can actually augment human capabilities with machine abilities. And so AI has a much, doesn't have the same bias or blinders that we have on, on things that have, could happen, especially black swan events and the kind of the ripple events. Like if we go back, back to the beginning of the COVID pandemic and I said to people like, hey, you know, we're gonna have a cosmetic shortage. Everyone would have thought I was an idiot, right? Said, or we'd have a shortage of video game consoles. Like, no, no, we, we got to worry about medicines and PPE and all that kind of stuff. But look what happened. But AI is actually good at figuring out those down, downward impacts and put us in actually in these scenarios like in the, the digital twins or the metaverse where we're actually forced to then try and figure out some problem solving and get some coaching and actually, what we've seen is people become come up with more creative solutions. They're more resilient and be able to react to unexpected events faster. I think that's really where we're seeing. And if we're not ready to adapt into that hybrid intelligence and you're thinking like, well, I know things will change, but it's going to take 20, 30 years. Well, you're already too late. And I think that's the challenge is you've just hit the nail on the head that people think that this change is in the future. It's like everyone's talking about the metaverse right now. And now so many people don't realize the metaverse is here and now. They're saying, okay, well, we'll look at that five or 10 years from now, which is interesting. We've already, we've actually, think about it, farming, agriculture, one of the oldest professions. We, we developed AI tools back in 2015, right? You know, 
analyzing climate information, soil content, balancing cash versus nutritional, all these things. But a couple of years ago, we started using the metaverse to build digital twins of people's farms. And now we can actually experiment and try more risky things to see what outcomes might actually happen without having to worry about what's actually happening in the real world. So being able to take more risk, risk is not necessarily a bad thing, but it creates more opportunity. And when I tell people that, they're like, they're not, that, that can't be. I mean, the, meta, the metaverse is a brand new thing. I mean, we, we should be able to do that for like seven years. I'm like, it's already been going on for two years. Yeah, true. Do you think that for businesses, in terms of scenario planning, helping them to strategically forecast where their business is going to be, how important do you think AI is going to be in that space going forward? It's going to be critical, right? We, even the smartest among us, we're, we're only going to think about seven to 12 scenarios and we'll constrain that by what we think is likely. Right. And we'll only be able, we only can think three, four levels deep where mm -hmm. AI can think about millions upon millions of scenarios and take it a hundred levels deep. Right. I mean, look, look, the, again, I hate to bring up the pandemic, but even the WHO published a report saying there were actually seven points we could have prevented the pandemic. And we blew all of them because we just didn't believe these things would happen. Right. If we had a little AI buddy helping us at that at that point plan this stuff out. It might have just kind of slapped us in our face and said, "Yo, you need to be on this right now, otherwise this thing's going to just devastate the world." So really, this needs a bit of disruptive thinking. How do companies go around about that and change their thinking? It really starts with one, uh, obviously, the mindset, realizing that we have a different set of computing capabilities. You know, AI is the third generation of computing. And so everything we know about computers, we kind of got to forget and start with a, you know, green screen, if you will, and say like, well, we've never done that before. That's never been possible before. That doesn't mean it's not possible now. We, we got to learn to actually think our mindset should be like entrepreneurs, Right. Let's find that different way of doing something and leverage this new tool set that we actually have. And are there places that people can go to start learning about this stuff? There, there's a lot. Obviously, there's my book, you know, Only AI Revolution, which was named best book of 2019. Um, I do share some framework about how to do that. There's great sources out there like Cognitive World that actually filters and like curates a lot of the content about what people are doing, especially in the startup world. I mean, there's, there's nice YouTube videos and stuff like that, but people don't need to worry about becoming a, a programmer or a roboticist or a data scientist. It's just understanding at a basic level, what is AI and what the capabilities it brings forward. Because I could give you the world's best hammer, but if you've never not familiar with a hammer, you're just going to kind of stare at it, right? You got to right. learn how to actually use it. And I think that's the challenge is a lot of people are just paralyzed by this. Uh, and and, and I, I get it. Most people don't like change, but we are living in a time of rapid change. And so if you're not ahead of the curve, you're, you're behind. I mean, I, I was telling people back in 2015, if you're starting to think about AI, you're already three years behind everybody else. How do you overcome the unionization of workforces where 
you've got unions that do their very best. They think they're protecting the employees by blocking innovation. Because that's one of the things that we've got is actually anything that's perhaps a risk to employee rights or employees' livelihoods tend to get kiboshed and blocked. How do we overcome that? Uh, I, I think the acceleration of tech, of AI technology is going to probably wind up doing that because one of the things that unions are good at is saying like, okay, we're going to basically commoditize the work, right? If you have this role, part of the union, you do X, Y, Z. Well, guess what? That stuff is actually then perfect for an AI. We've broken it down. Like, what we're going to do is teach the AI X, Y, Z. Yeah. And just given the, the, the economic pressures and the, the lack of people, I think it's going to be a real change and I don't know what you're going to do if you're, if you're a union or, you know, one of these things we're going to do and say like, well, you can't let robots take our jobs. And that's been the mindset I would say for so many years, it's all about what you can't do. You can't let robots take our jobs. You can't do this. You can't do that. But looking at how things are developing, probably in the next five years, drivers like, cab drivers, they're no longer bus drivers. They're probably no longer going to exist as jobs. No, and I mean, Singapore rolled out in 2019 self-driving taxis, self-driving buses. And so you already see the change starting to happen. You know, a lot, it's funny, a lot of people think like, well, we're probably a decade away from autonomous vehicles. We're, we're not. And I, I can actually say in my work with the United Nations, we don't talk about when we should legalize autonomous vehicles. We talk about when we should ban human drivers. Yeah. Right. Because the machines, they're processing thousands of data points per second in real time to drive. They're using GPS and radar and LIDAR and auditory, a lot of things that we just can't do. We as humans are now the most variable thing in the system. So any... <sighs> Entrepreneurs that are listening in, they're going to be fascinated by this and some are not going to know where to start, others are already on that journey. If they want really more information or they want to connect with you, what's the best way to do that? The best way is to either visit my website, which is just my name, www.neilsohoda.com. Or I encourage you to follow me on social media. I'm very active on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. And I'm always sharing some of the latest stuff and some actually help for entrepreneurs and how you can actually use some of these things to innovate, right? There's a whole new tool set. And I, I will tell you, entrepreneurs are the fuel for actually pioneering the AI solution. So don't be afraid to take those reins and uh, you know, create that future. And people are probably innovators without even realizing they're innovators. In fact, the question for you would be, in today's economy, can you really survive without innovation? No, at, at 100%, no. I think hopefully everyone realizes that, that uh, things just change so fast. So if you're not trying to disrupt yourself, someone will disrupt you. Where does that leave... Just a couple of more questions on this then. Where does that leave companies with an older workforce that are less flexible or less willing to accept that kind of change? It's this interesting question, Peter, because what, I, what I've seen with those types of companies, especially the big ones, 
they don't want to take the risk and they don't want to invest time in changing the culture. And so they've essentially become like either venture capitalists. They've all started like their own corporate VC funds or they started their own accelerators. And so they're trying to create an ecosystem where entrepreneurs can come with the ideas, take the risks, they put a little bit of money and see, do they build something out? And if they're successful, they'll just buy you. That's the way big companies now are trying to be innovative. Let someone no, else I... do the work. And that's, and that's interesting. We've seen quite a lot of that. Do you, do you think company cultures will change as we move more towards AI? I, I think it has to just for them to survive. I mean, that's the reality. I, I think we, we, we know that like the, and I'm not trying to be generalist or like that, but you know, the boomers have been in the leadership positions for so long and they're not like fully retiring that I think this change has been slowed down. But at, at some point, um, we're trying to see more and more of the younger generations assume these roles, especially because entrepreneurs are driving the success that it's going to change. I mean, I, I already see companies like GE already trying to figure out, okay, not only do I, how do I create a more innovative culture, but how do I integrate like robots into the workforce? Like how do I have robots working side by side and how do I have robots manage people? So that's interesting. And at some point you're probably going to have AI sitting on boards of directors. Yep. Harari is already, you know, endorsing the whole concept of like an AI prime minister or AI president to just run the day-to-day -day operations of a country. Yeah, do you know, that would be an interesting concept. Yeah. <laughs> Especially what's going on with politics around the globe at the moment. That could oh, yeah. actually, yeah. <laughs> no, wonderful. Listen, Neil, thank you so much for today. It's really been insightful. I think the big lesson is this. I mean, we're probably in the biggest and fastest periods of change that we've ever experienced. I think if we try to fight it and not embrace it, we're going to become irrelevant. And most probably businesses that don't move with the times, especially in this high inflation economy, shortage of people, they're not going to survive. No, not at all. And that's the harsh reality. It is, but it's not all doom and gloom. Like we have the power to change things. We have the power to you know, take control and take it to the next level in our jobs, in our work, our companies. Don't, don't be fooled that you think you have plenty of time to do that. If you're not racing to figure that out right now, you are behind the pack. And that's probably the big fear is that so many people are behind the pack and they're just gonna get squashed, especially yeah. over the next two years. Well, if anything's resonated with you today, you want a bit more information, head over to walker.com and get in touch. If you love today's episode, please like it, share it with others so they can benefit. Also subscribe so that you don't miss any future episodes. And always remember that failing to learn is learning to fail. Please stay safe. Neil, you've been awesome. Thank you so much. My pleasure. <laughs>